Hello, welcome to the King's Fund podcast, where we talk about the big issues and ideas in health and care today. I'm Helen McKenna, and I'm a senior policy advisor here at the Fund and your host for the episode. And I'm really excited about this episode because it is a special celebratory one. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the NHS turning 70 years old, so looking at what sort of state it's in, how it's changing, and what it might look like in the future. And we'll also look at the relationship between the NHS and patients and how that might need to change too. To help me deal with these really quite massive questions, I'm joined by three very special and distinguished guests. We've got uh, Siva Ananda Siva, Don Berwick, who's come all the way from the States to be with us here today, and Kynwen Giles. So Siva, Don and Kynwen, could you please each introduce yourselves and continuing on the lines of the birthday theme, tell me what is the best birthday present you've ever received? Uh, let's start with Siva. So, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure, <laughs> a lot of pressure. Uh, so I'm Siva and Siva. I'm the chief analyst here at the King's Fund and I'm racking my brain thinking. So I'd, I'd go with two things, I think. One was uh, when I was very young, my parents bought me a model of Castle Greyskull which was everything I wanted. It made my world complete. And then more recently, I think either the last birthday or the birthday before, my wife said, um, we'll do whatever you want. And it, it doesn't have to be anything big. So we spent the day on the couch, eating takeaway, watching episodes of Columbo. And that was, that was <laughs> and a perfect day for me. A dream come true for It Zither. is. It okay. is. Thank you. Don. I'm Don Berwick. I'm a pediatrician, and I'm here as an international visiting fellow at the King's Fund. And uh, I'm the founding CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, which I ran for 20 years and then ran Medicare and Medicaid for President Obama. Best birthday present. Hmm. Well, I turned 70 a year ago, and uh, my, my family organized a surprise party. It was like my whole life in review. I, I showed up at one of my uh, children's homes in Boston, and there were about 50 people from my whole my whole journey. It was amazing. Oh, college roommates and friends from today and friends from yesterday. It was really wonderful. Great. And kind one. Uh, so I'm Kynwen Giles. I'm a director at Shine Cancer Support, which is a charity that supports people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s with cancer. Yeah. Um, I'm also on the General Advisory Council here at the King's Fund, and I'm really trying to think. <laughs> yeah, I can remember coming home once when I think I was about seven, and my parents had a Cindy doll house all set up for me. That was pretty exciting, because it was huge, and it had an elevator on the outside, but yeah, I turned 40 a couple of years ago, and my husband got me a ring, an eternity ring, which everyone says, oh, were you married for 10 years or something? And we hadn't been, but actually, because I've been really ill, I yeah. never knew if I would make it to 40. So um, yeah, it was a really lovely present, and my, my daughter had hidden it under her bed, so I couldn't find it, which was very, she was so oh, excited, oh, it was very cute. She also says she wants it when I die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not for a while, hopefully, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> But she's got her eye on she's it. She's got her eye on it, yeah. yeah. Okay. So the NHS reaching its 70th birthday is a real milestone, particularly given that at various points during its history, people, many people, speculated that it simply wouldn't survive. And yet here we are. The NHS is still here. So a great time to take stock and think about where the NHS has got to 70 years in 
how it's doing and where it's headed. So let's start with the current state of the NHS. And Siva, I think you're the expert here. You run a quarterly survey of NHS finance leads. You look through that to find out how the NHS is doing on finance and performance. So what sort of state is the NHS currently in? So I think I think the NHS is in quite a tense state at the moment. So operationally, strategically and politically. Operationally, you've, I think, just got this fundamental mismatch between what people expect of the service given the resources it has. So A&E targets of seeing patients quickly are routinely missed now up and down the country. Targets for seeing people with cancer within two months of yeah. diagnosis. Financial performance, you know, I remember four or five years ago, you could count on one hand the number of NHS providers that were failing their financial targets. Now it's it's a, a rule more honoured in the breach than the observance. Mm. So there's there's quite a lot of pressure and tension because you feel like you should be delivering when you fundamentally don't have the resources. So that's one piece of tension. The second piece of tension is more strategic, I think, which is over and over again when you look at the survey data, you see finance directors, chief operating officers caught between two stools, mm-hmm. the needs of their organisation and the needs of the system. And it's easy for people like me to say, well, just prioritise the system, do the right thing for your local area. But they've got boards, they've got staff, they've got local politicians who are saying, do the right thing for your hospital. So again, that that's a source of uh, tension. And the final source of tension is, is political. Mm-hmm. You know, We are clearly at a moment, as the NHS approaches its 70th birthday, uh, the government has provided some additional funding or the offer of additional funding for the NHS. But again, it comes loaded with expectations. So I think the mood is, is as always, cautiously optimistic whenever you come to a moment. But there's also quite a lot of tension that needs to be resolved. Kaiman, you do a lot of work looking at patients' experiences of NHS services. So what's your take on how patients view the current state of the NHS? So I think... You know, patients understand this, the tension, the political tension that's happening. I mean, you, but I think we also have to be careful. I think there's a risk that you can develop almost a tolerance for things that aren't right because you're, you're grateful for the service. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who, you know, go to A&E and wait hours and hours and then say, oh, but I understand you're under a lot of pressure. That's not necessarily right. What I hear from a lot of cancer patients is that there are little things that are being chipped away at, you know, so people who go to the hospital and they find out their chemotherapy drugs aren't ready Mm -hmm. because the nurses didn't have time to pick it up from the pharmacy. You know, for myself, I attend a clinic every month to receive an immunoglobulin treatment. And you can see in the seven years I've been going, anything that was nice to have has been stripped away. And we're getting to the point, I think, where it's, you know, if we were a factory model before, we're just, we're like at the machinery, I think. No and fat, that's like, no fat. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's really hard as a patient because it, it means that you are increasingly just treated like a problem. Mm. And so just for the benefit mm. of the listeners, Kainman, would it yeah. be helpful to just say what your condition Sure. So, I mean, obviously, you know, I've been thinking about the NHS at 70. And for me, I am hugely grateful to the NHS because I would be dead without it. I was diagnosed with uh, stage 4B non-Hodgkin lymphoma eight years ago. You know, I was actually really lucky to be in London. I ended up accidentally at a hospital that had a lot of really very well-trained lymphoma specialists. Mm -hmm. I was put on a clinical trial. But I spent six months in the hospital as an inpatient. Wow. And... 
For me, that was really, it was a very, well, it was a hugely traumatic experience, but it was very transformational. And it gave me a lot of food for thought about how the system treats patients. Um, and Don, so whenever I listen to you, I always hear um, optimism. So I'm going to look to you now for an optimistic uh, note in terms of current state of the NHS and your perspective. Yeah, I think I'm looking at the cup half full part of it. Yeah, <laughs> There's <good>. certainly <laughs> problems. Every, every healthcare system in the world has <clears throat> not just problems, but very serious problems. And my career is devoted to trying to help make things mm. better. But when you look at the NHS, I think it's important to say compared to what? And um, I continue to regard the NHS as majestic, uh, unique, and uh, extremely valuable to, to, to preserve and improve, even despite the current stresses. The, what's so striking to me about the NHS is what has not changed, which mm-hmm. is from its founding, these principles of universality, support for general taxation, which means it's redistributional as it yeah. needs to be, and uh, free at the point of need. These are really important principles, which your country still seems committed to Tory or labor across the spectrum. Uh, The solidarity is very impressive, and I don't think it's equal in anywhere else in the world. Uh, In a way, the fact that we can sit and talk about the problems is a a mark of its systemness, that that it's possible to have these conversations as troubling as they feel and to maybe think about how to fix them. That said, of course, the cup is half empty. There, there's, there are serious problems, and they've been aggravated in the past few years by choices that probably need to be reconsidered. I think, um, as Siva said, I think the austerity measures went far, much too far, Yeah. Um, and uh, that's being, hopefully, will be addressed. I think you still have a problem in, and a worse one now, an underinvestment in social determinants of health and working on what prevention illness doesn't come from the lack of health care, it comes from other causes. Uh, I think the uh, there is a tendency in this country still to blame people when things go wrong, mm-hmm. when those of us in the world of quality know that it's not people, it's generally systems. Uh, when things go wrong, it's because good people are trapped in systems that are not well designed. All of that you can deal with. All of that the NHS can deal with, and I think it will, but I don't want to understate how difficult it is right now. And you have a workforce in distress, and I think that's really clear. And again, I'm optimistic you can work your way out of it, but not if you don't recognize first that uh, poor morale and too much stress on the workforce isn't good for anyone, the workforce or the patient. Obviously, you're based in the States normally. What do you see as the big differences between the healthcare in the States and here? Well, on the positive side here, as I said earlier, you can have policy. You can think about the healthcare system of the UK. You can make a decision if you choose to rebalance investments on determinants of illness, uh, work on equity issues, for example. We can't have that conversation in the U.S. There's no platform. There's no there's no consolidated responsibility yeah. for what you are holding your government responsible for. Um, in terms of cha- differences in delivery, um, there, there are one or two that I do notice, which is the, the, the what I would call the, the consumerist view of healthcare, the mm-hmm. voice of the patient, the, pa- the importance of patient family care participation in design and redesign and governance of care is slightly better developed in the U.S. than here. It's yeah. changing fast, though, thanks to people like Hanwen and others. We have very well-developed high-tech medicine in the U.S. If you have a very advanced illness, you'll pretty much get proper care. That's true here also, but uh, I think we are, we're probably on a par. Your commitment to general practice and primary care is much stronger than in the U.S., though. Here, the idea of impanelment, that everyone has a GP, that you, 
there's a reference point uh, for uh, your care. Yeah. You, you committed to that at the founding, and the U.S. still lacks that kind of very, very strong primary care infrastructure, and we're struggling with it. And Siva, just continuing on the theme of international comparisons, I know that recently we, along with the Health Foundation, the Nuffield Trust and the IFS, uh, recently published a report which looked at how the NHS is currently doing a comparison to other countries. What did it say? Is the NHS currently the envy of the world, as politicians sometimes say it is? So very briefly, it was it was a mixed picture. Mm. So it was mixed depending on what areas you look at and then even certain special areas within that. So overall, if you look at the resources the NHS has, it feels like we are under-resourced relative to other similar countries. The number of doctors, number of nurses, number of hospital beds, the number of MRI, CT scanners, you know, these are all very hospital-based metrics, but we're below average on all of them. So you're not working with a lot uh, when it comes to resources. The second thing is we seem to use those resources relatively efficiently. If you look at uh, the rates of prescribing for generic, cheaper forms of medicines, if you look at uh, lengths of stay in hospital, we we perform quite well. We seem to use those resources well. But uh, when it comes to the outcomes, you know, part of the main purpose of a healthcare system is to keep the population alive and healthy. That shows the NHS has some room to make up compared to other countries. Mm. We do we do well on outcomes for conditions like diabetes for some kidney conditions, but the big killers, cancer, heart attack, stroke, we lag behind other Nordic countries, we lag behind other Western countries, we lag behind Australia. So whether it's screening, whether it's early treatment, there is a lot you can still learn from other countries. What, what do the data show about um, the level of investment per capita expenditure or percentage of gross domestic product here compared to other developed countries? Where are you now? So we're about average now. We spend about 9.7% of our GDP, our national wealth, uh, on healthcare, which for the basket we looked at, obviously the U.S. was an outlier right at the top, but we came out about average. But, and it's a pretty big but, we've, the OECD has recently changed how we measure health spend. So a whole host of things that, you know, I would, I would consider social care, mm. bathing, washing, helping people live their daily lives. That spending is now included in... In health, so it's we've jumped up the league table. We're about average, but for some reason that's not translating into more tangible resources. Yeah. Well, there's an incredible fragmentation here too between sort of public health and prevention and the NHS, right? And you, I mean, the report talks about the cuts to local authority funding for public health. And if we want to improve population health, yeah. you need you need a whole system approach. I think that's one of the dangers that. I see is a sort of the increasing fragmentation of bits of the the system which do support people to live well. Um, Because where you have growing rates of inequality and people unable to, you know, get information or support to live well, well, then you'll see them when they're sicker. And that's not necessarily what we want. To me, that's probably the biggest policy choice I see for NHS at 70. I think in the long run, you really need to work on causes. And I think that's a big decision that the government's going to have to face. Um, let's move on to how the system is changing right now. Don, I know you um, have been traveling across the country over the past few years doing a, a, a tour of um, of the NHS and looking at what are called vanguards or the new models of care, how the system is changing. So tell us a little bit about what you're seeing. 
again, it's a half full, half empty picture, isn't it? Uh, well, the vanguards represented an investment about three or three and a half years of, a, of kind of an experiment that your country did through mm-hmm. the NHS. Uh, you selected 50 trusts, 50 deliverers of care, some hospitals, some physician groups, some care homes, some A&E departments, and you gave them a little more money and a lot more headroom to change the rules and try to reinvent care locally to achieve what we call in IHI the triple aim, better care for individuals, better health for the population, and lower cost or at least less waste. My job has been to visit these vanguards. I probably have visited, I guess, 40 of them in in the three years. And it's thrilling. I mean, it's absolutely thrilling. I wish everyone could kind of come along with me. We go to these small communities or cities uh, and watch these trusts uh, try to do something completely new, completely new relationships between specialists and GPs, completely new use of telemedicine, completely new use of home-based care and resources. Uh, uh, I mean, you've got a catalog now of breakthroughs distributed around the country that are any country could benefit from, certainly yours, and the results are triple aim results. In general, they are better for patients, improve health, and, and if not reduce cost, at least make better use of resources. So that's the good news. The Vanguard program has now ended or transitioned, and you've got another enterprise underway now, which is integrated care, which means building even more ambitious population-based approaches to care. Right now you've got 10 integrated care systems, and yeah. there are more coming they're fantastic. I am more optimistic about that form of change than almost anything I've seen. The half-empty part is that it doesn't spread. You want to find a place that's revolutionized the relationships between consultants and GPs. I can tell you where to go to see it, but that's about where you'll find it. And, and, and you're now trying to figure out as a nation, how could we take these great examples and make them useful to everyone? Uh, and I think that's kind of the next big challenge. And when you're doing this tour, have you seen, like in the vanguards or in these integrated care systems, um, a different approach to working with patients as well? Because that's one of the things that I've heard, and I I feel like I'm being sort of really negative, but I have heard people say, well, we we didn't really have time to to engage with the patient, so we're going to bring them in at the end, and obviously that's not ideal. So has that been thought about well? Not everywhere, but certainly many places. uh, Really thrilling stuff. I was in Winslow, for example, which Mm -hmm. is a, there, actually the, the community and the GPs have come together to reinvent care very authentically. They're absolutely working together. If, if Wigan is going to be is going to become a legend in this country, what's going on there is it's so wholehearted mm-hmm. in the combination of community-based resources, mm-hmm. patients, carers, and families, and uh, deliverers of care. So I, I'd be uh, you've got some great models of it. Uh, the trouble you're hearing, I'd like to hear more about because I'm sure there are places that haven't quite mm-hmm. done it. I'd say, by the way, is uh, coaching the, the people doing invention, which is I've never seen a place that's invited patients, families, carers into into the picture and governance and you know, improvement work and gone back. It's always better. And so yeah, I think absolutely. Yeah. And so thinking about how how the NHS needs to change, Kynwin, what about the relationship between the NHS and patients? 
so we've got good examples. What I would really like to see is a commitment to working with patients at all levels. So Don's report, Robert Francis's report, loads of reports have talked about, you know, how do we really fundamentally work with patients? And that's not just kind of, you know, get some volunteers in for a tea trolley service. It's, yeah. I think we need to look at what does it mean to have patient care representative at all levels, including governance. Mm-hmm. So on the boards, on the wards, you know, right down to the very bottom, working with porters so that they understand what it's like to be a patient. That, to me, would be a fundamental change. But I think it, it's a, it feels really risky to people. But there's a huge opportunity. There's a huge opportunity to save money, to make things better, to have better outcomes. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what I would really like to see I think and really exciting if you could make yeah, it yeah hugely exciting yeah. and like Don said people who do this work they don't go back and you don't go back because the energy that you get from working with yeah. people is amazing you you get to work with people who care how else Siva do you think the NHS is going to need to change beyond the the new models of care um, ICSs the stuff that's happening now what else needs to happen I think if you pull off the ICS movement in, in all aspects, you know, a new approach to thinking about how you plan care, a new approach to how you involve patients. I think that tackles quite a lot of the issues. But the ICSs, if, if I'm being honest, as, as great as they are, also seem quite insular, still focused mainly on healthcare provision yeah. and maybe pushing the boat out a little bit to social care. I don't see any real appetite, at least from the places I've seen, to really embrace public health prevention. I see that maybe in the healthy new towns. Mm more than the ICSs, where they're thinking, we can have the, wor- the best hospital in the world, I can have the best GP surgery in the world, if my kids have to walk past 17 chicken shops, yeah. and if the logical choice for them for a quick, cheap, easy dinner is to pop into that chicken shop, uh, then, then you're not going to solve the fundamental root causes of a lot of the health problems we're seeing. So I think uh, embracing ICS movement, absolutely embrace public health and prevention is serious, not some motherhood and apple pie initiative. And then hopefully in 20 years' time, we won't be saying, as health system leaders, mm. why, why didn't we do more to prevent an obesity, a diabetes epidemic? And also, I think that link to social care that you mentioned as well, because we have an aging population. Mm. And I sometimes feel, I mean, maybe it's people my age and younger, it's like everyone's put their hands over the ears and going, la, 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 I'm never <laughs> going to get old. It's yeah. not going to happen to me. Um, but that's a huge problem that yeah. we need to grapple with. And I think we need patient and carer involvement in that, too, because I I'm not sure that we listen to the elderly as well as we could um, to find out where their priorities are. And and that is causing a knock-on effect on what's going on in the NHS. Absolutely. The, scary, the two scariest charts I've seen in the last two years, one of which was uh, what's happened to uh, nursing and midwife applications from the EU. Mm-hmm. And the second was what people think about social care. And it's, it's just stunning how First, I'm broadly generalising, but people don't understand what social care is. When they understand what it is, they think that the state will pay for for it in a very similar way to the NHS. So I think you're right, they're they're massive awareness issues to be raised here. Okay, so we've looked at how the NHS is currently doing. We've looked at how it's changing. Now onto the fun bit, which is (laughs) predictions. So first of all, I know the NHS has recently been asked in exchange for additional funding. It's been asked to write its own 10-year plan or certainly lead the development of a 10-year strategy. And I think we're going to see that over the coming months that will come out. 
Before we see that, let's speculate on, on what the NHS will look like at the end of that period. So, Don, you talked about integrating services. We've been talking about integration for a long time. Do you think in 10 years' time we'll finally see integrated care across the country? I do. I think I think Siv is spot on that the right now uh, the authenticity of investment in public health and prevention it's it's not really there. I mean, people know it's important, but yeah, if you visit these places, they're having a lot of trouble mobilizing the resources. I think it will change. I really do. I think there's so much reason to work on community health and well-being as as the enterprise, not just delivery of care. The other thing we haven't mentioned at all that I will predict with near certainty is the exciting creative use of digital health mechanisms, Mm -hmm. uh, telemedicine, telehealth, Mm self-care, artificial intelligence in healthcare. These are really promising, and they've they've been sort of like uh, over-promised for a while, you know, but I'm seeing that that will change, uh, and it's changing very fast right now. I think the NHS could lead on that if you invest properly. Especially for long-term chronic conditions, I guess, where, you know, you've got people going in regularly for appointments and you go in and they go, everything looks good, and you go away and you come back. I mean, (laughs) you can do that over the phone in five minutes. And And then there's a self-care aspect to that because Mm -hmm. I I, I kind of may disagree, but the people that generally are coming to know the most about the care of an illness are the patients themselves. They they have access to so much knowledge and we we don't, we don't use it. And that's the biggest workforce you've got Yes, because they're there 24 seven, you know, and I think uh, that's going to change and telemedicine is going to help people be much better at caring for themselves. And on the workforce of we're currently um, facing a lot of pressures. Where do you think it will be in 10 years time? I think we'll still be talking about, we don't have enough doctors. We don't Mm -hmm. have enough nurses. What I hope will also be talking about is a bit more joy in work that people feel do you know what 10 years ago I felt like there was a lot of pressure to do things quickly to turn the handle to get the next patient in and out now I feel like I have first of all that I work more in teams and those teams are wider that I'm not just doing things that help this patient in the moment to get better Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm helping them throughout their lives to stay healthy so the where you spend your time, where you spend your emphasis will feel very different. I, I hope that it'll feel like your employees are a lot more flexible in their approach to you. I see a lot of junior doctors now, uh, well, one in particular, who said, do you know what, I want a portfolio career. I want to develop, work on this tech startup 20% of the time. I want to be staffed to a rotor 80% of the time. And the clinical director's response was, do you want to be a doctor or not? I think in 10 years' time, it will be, if we're a good employer, how do we work around your lifestyle? Yeah. So this is the even more fun aspect, um, thinking about in 70 years' time. So other than very wrinkly, how do we think the NHS is going to look when it's 140 years old? Don, where do you think most of our care will be delivered? Will we still be focused in hospitals the way we are now? I think uh, hospitals will be intensive care units. Uh, there's Obviously, there are conditions for which you, you need to be out of your home in a, in a safe medical environment. But the acuity levels in the hospitals will be much higher. And, uh, of course, you'll be dealing with an aging tsunami. You'll have people who are 100 years old or 110, and, and there'll be a need to focus on the needs of frailty uh, more and more. I think home will be the hub, and, the, and more and more will happen where you live your life. And, Kaiman, 
where do you think we'll be in terms of self-care, which came up already? Mm. <laughs> do you have any predictions about, you know, Don's already talked about most of care is going to maybe be happening in the home. Yeah. By 2088, do you think we'll all be doing a lot of our care ourselves? Yeah, I think we will. I mean, I think it's already moving that way. Yeah. Um, my one wish, I suppose, is that when that happens, that we use things like tech to ensure that patients still have a community because I think one of the difficulties with moving care into the home is that people can become more isolated. I guess the other thing that I would I hope to see in 70 years is that we do have patients integrated into the governance and management systems in a different way. So we have patient directors. Yeah. We, you know, and that we don't even think about that. We think about why didn't we have these guys before? And that actually the the skill that is required to work with carers, patients, the public is recognized because I think at the moment we tend to think that anybody can go out and work with patients in the public and they can't because it is a skilled job and I hope in 70 years that we've recognized that and that we have practitioners who have that as a job and patients who are in those kind of important roles who, Mm -hmm. who have those skills as well. Great. So, and so last question, which is for you, Tiffa, you're going to love this one. So um, back in 2008, when the NHS was 60, Nico Henke of um, McKinsey estimated that by 2050, most countries would spend more than 20% of GDP on healthcare, and that by 2080, the US would be spending more than half its GDP on healthcare. So nice, easy question for you. Thinking ahead to 2088, how much of our GDP do you reckon we'll be spending on health? I reckon we will be spending about 15% of our GDP on health. But by health, I mean health, I mean public health. In its broader I mean, sense. In its broader yeah. sense, including um, those parts of, you know, I'd, I'd include everything, education. The, the portion of education uh, that is, this is how you live a healthy yeah. life. I wish someone had told me that at 15. I'd be in a better place now. Yeah. We're going to come back and check with him, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to revisit these predictions yeah. in 10 years' time <laughs> and in another 70, though I probably won't be here to do it. Um, thank you so much to all of you for a really interesting discussion. As the NHS hits 70, it's great to reflect on these things. So um, thanks, Don, Siva and Kainwen for a fantastic discussion. Well, that's it from us. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes and also tell your friends. And if you have feedback or ideas for topics you'd like to hear covered in future episodes, then please get in touch either on Twitter at The Kings Fund or my account at Helena Macarena. Or you can leave feedback on our website, which is www.kingsfund.org.uk. Bye for now and hope you can join us next time.